0: As we're going through the book of Mark, we know that last week we're studying the end of chapter 7, and my message at that point was faith for a supernatural breakthrough. And we talked about two different uh, people. I mean, there was not just two different individuals, but there was one woman who had a demonized daughter, and she sought Jesus with all of her heart, fell at his, uh, fell at his feet on her knees and cried out that he would deliver his, uh, her daughter from the suffering that she was experiencing. And then we also observed there was a group of people that brought their deaf and their mute friend to Jesus, uh, believing that he could do what no one else could do. And Jesus actually addressed that, and he healed that man. And we observed these, these two situations, and Jesus himself said that these ones had great faith. And so we talked about how we too want to have great faith. Faith, faith, for supernatural breakthroughs so that whenever we hit a wall or whenever we feel helpless like we prayed today, that that's where God begins. Wherever we feel like we end, but that's where God begins. He can do what we can. And and so I even asked our church, and maybe you were one of those that committed to praying for a supernatural breakthrough for your youth or young adults that have walked away from the faith. And we had well over 70 people commit To fasting and praying this last Wednesday. And I believe that even if we haven't seen anything happen yet, we will see God respond to our prayers for our loved ones because that's the kind of God that he is. And aren't you grateful that he hears the cries of his people today? Don't you know that? God hears us and we came together and we said, Lord, we're not just going to let our loved ones go this way. We're believing that you can bring about a supernatural breakthrough in their lives. We didn't just want to read this book. We wanted this book to come alive in our own lives. And so thank you for committing. Thank you for fasting and praying. It's the first of many as we continue to commit ourselves to come before a merciful and a mighty God. And so praise God for his breakthrough. And today we are opening chapter eight, and it looks like a familiar story. It's not the same story as we read about in Mark chapter six, but it is similar. We're reading about Jesus feeding 4,000 today, and I'm going to read from verse one to 26. Here's what it says, Mark chapter eight. In those days when there was again a large crowd and they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples and he said to them, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way and some of them have come from a great distance. And his disciples answered him, where will anyone be able to find enough bread here in this desolate place to satisfy these people? And he was asking them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, Seven. And he directed the people to sit down on the ground. And taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks and broke them and started giving them to his disciples to serve. And they served them to the people. They also had a few small fish. And after he had blessed them, he ordered these to be served as well. And they ate and were satisfied. And they picked up seven large basketfuls and what was left over of the broken pieces. About 4,000 were there, and he sent them all away. Immediately he entered the boat with his disciples came to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came out and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him, sighing deeply in his spirit. He said, why does this generation seek for a sign? Truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. Leaving them, he again embarked and went away to the other side. And they had forgotten to take bread and did not have more than one loaf in the boat with them. And he was giving orders to them saying, watch out beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. They began to discuss with one another the fact that they had no bread. And Jesus, I'm sorry. (laughs) And Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you discuss the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet see or understand? Do you have a hardened heart? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls of broken pieces you picked up? And they said to him, 12. When I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large basketfuls of broken pieces did you pick up? And they said, seven. And he was saying to them, do you not yet understand? And they came to Bethsaida and they brought a blind man to Jesus and implored him to touch him, taking the blind man by the hand He brought him out of the village and after spitting on his eyes and laying his hands on him, he asked him, do you see anything? And he looked up and he said, I see men for I see them like trees walking around. Then again, he laid his hands on his eyes and he looked intently and was restored and began to see everything clearly. And he sent him to his home saying, do not enter the village. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. In 2017, a man walked into a church service in Sutherland, Texas, and he killed 26 people before fleeing the scene. I remember processing that story with several from our church back then. I was not at this church at the time, but I was a pastor at a church up north, as most of you know. And we talked about a lot of things when we heard the news. And being a global community, you tend to hear about these things very quickly. You're able to know about an atrocity, a tragedy like we had just found out this last week in Texas. Within hours, we all know what's happened uh, somewhere very far away from us. At the time of this uh, mass shooting, we as a church and as leadership, we talked about all kinds of things that day. We talked about security in church. That was where I learned that 65 to 75 shootings in churches a year and uh, the pastor is the primary target. And so, of course, we were thinking about security. How do we have more security in church? We wanted our people to feel safe. We wanted our children to be safe. We talked a lot about mental health, things that we often don't understand, factors that uh, they're not invisible, but you never know how that they're going to affect people and what that means for any given day or, or what people are going through. We talked about gun law reform, and that debate has been going on for a very long time, and people had a lot of viewpoints and opinions about uh, the reform of law, and we received a lot of emails, and so we were processing a lot that day as leaders, and at the end of the day, we just prayed a lot because that's what we knew how to do. A lot of these other things were theoretical conversations where we knew we needed to probably do some kind of thing, but uh, we knew what we must do, and that was pray. So we did pray that day. I also went to a church service that night, and we had a weekly program. Uh, we have a monthly one here, and we have Trail Life and AHG that's weekly as well. So we have several programs here, but, but like that, we had a, a weekly program at our previous church, and I guess what had happened was there was a, an 11- or 12-year-old girl that heard the story that we were all processing that day, and her heart was so touched, she just had to get as many people as possible to write letters to the families that had lost all these loved ones from this church in Baptist church in Sutherland, Texas. And so when I came to church that night, what I found was this girl was so inspired by what God had put in her heart. She was just thinking about the families that she got 50 people to write letters and she brought all of these different pages with GoFundMe, pages where we could all give. And so everybody stopped what we were doing and we wrote letters to all of the family members. Some of them, some of them we were able to write by name. We were able to get as many names as possible. And people were giving. I remember looking around and people are on their phones and they're giving on these GoFundMe pages. And something happened to me that night when I looked at what compassion look like to me. It took an 11, 12-year-old girl to lead us all in an act of compassion. All of these other things need to happen. All of the conversations, all of the prayers need to be, all of that is true. We, we, we do need to do a lot of things, but it was an 11, 12-year-old girl that led us in a sensitivity toward the people that were suffering the most. And I thought, you know, sometimes that's just what compassion looks like. Because pain and difficulty is happening all around us all the time, and it's not going to stop until Jesus returns. But there's something that I think Jesus wants to give to us because it's what he possesses. And that is this increasing measure of compassion that isn't something that we just feel, but it's what flows through our life and touches the lives of other people. Friends, I wanna tell you today that Jesus wants to give us a lot more compassion because we live in a broken and hurting world and we can get that from him. And the first thing that we must do as we approach this topic and look at this text is say, Lord, I need more compassion than I have right now. And I desire to be your hands, your feet, and your mouthpiece in a world that is hurting, in a world that is broken. And we have to recognize that compassion is not just sympathy. Sympathy is good, and I'm not suggesting that it's bad, but it's a pity-based emotional response to a person's suffering. It's, It's to suggest that I feel bad for what has happened to you. And that's a good place to start. I feel bad for what has happened to you. But that does not define compassion. Compassion is not even just empathy. Empathy is not just where we feel bad, but it's where we try to picture ourselves in that person's shoes. We try to we say things like what would it be like to be one of the families that have just lost lost a loved one. That's where we go a little bit further than feeling bad and we say, "Wow, that that would be that would be horrific, that would be hard." We're trying to feel what somebody else feels. That's empathy, but Compassion is so much more. Compassion is to see, it's to feel, and it's to act towards someone suffering with the love of God in whatever way that we can, in whatever way that we can. We need more of this in our world today. And I believe this just doesn't show up. Compassion doesn't just show up. It's something that we Cultivate. It's something that we take steps in. It's something that we respond to the Lord because it comes from him. It flows from him like a river and he desires for it to flow out of our lives. So often it's responding to the person and the impression of Jesus as we see the needs in our community. We observe, I think, uh, profound compassion today in this passage, which is why we're bringing it up. And as I studied the text, I found that I also was inspired by who Jesus is and And I believe you will be as well. I want to bring up a couple points from the text. And the first one about compassion is this. Compassion starts with the heart of Jesus. Look at verse one. In those days when there was again a large crowd and they had nothing to eat, Jesus called his disciples and he said to them, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me now three days and they don't have anything to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from a long ways away. And his disciples answered him, where will anyone be able to find enough bread here in this desolate place to satisfy these people? Mark tells us here, there's a large crowd. They've been with Jesus three days. And specifically, here's the need. They have nothing to eat. They don't have any food. In verse two, Jesus does something that he doesn't do in any other place. I don't know if you realize this, but Jesus tells the disciples how he feels, There is not any other verse in the Bible where Jesus himself says, I feel compassion. Now, it does say in other other passages, it describes that Jesus felt compassion. It says Jesus felt compassion. It literally says it that way. But it never says Jesus himself said about himself. So it's very powerful when you look at this story because Jesus looks at his disciples and he says this to them about how he feels. It's his response to the hunger that the people are experiencing all around him. He looks at the need and he looks at his disciples and he said, this is how I feel about the situation. He just stops in the middle of needs and makes this comment. I like it how Jesus does not tell his disciples what to do. Did you notice that? He just brings up the dilemma. Hey guys, I feel compassion and uh, here's why. Because they don't have anything to eat. And if I send them away, because I think he, he knew that one of them was gonna say, send them away, because they've done that before. So he cuts to the point. If I send them away, they'll faint. They won't make it. He brings up the dilemma to his disciples, but he doesn't tell them what to do. The disciples have been here before, haven't they? In Mark chapter 6. Some scholars will tell you that Mark chapter 8 and Mark chapter 6, are the same story. He feeds the 5,000. He feeds the 4,000. And they say, because there's a lot of similarities, that this must be the same story. They're in a desolate place. There's a large crowd of people. He multiplies loaves and fish, Um, these kinds of similarities. I I, I think that's kind of funny when you look at the majority of scholars saying this, uh, because that's sometimes what higher education can do. I love higher education, but I think it's sometimes you just sort of overanalyze what is meant for us to even understand. We go way too far, and and, and I think it'd be sort of like me saying, analyzing our, our Sunday morning service at 9 a.m. and saying, was it many gatherings or was it one gathering? Well, they, they stood up and worshiped. They prayed. Uh, they, uh, they, they, they sang. Uh, this guy got up and railed at everybody. <laughs> they, uh, they responded. They went over and ate donuts. I conclude that that was only one meeting No, we do similar things every week. Isn't that right? So if you were to take that logical approach, you would conclude that we only gathered one time. No, we gather every week, but there's a lot of things that look the same. And so I think it's funny how scholarship gets reduced to uh, funny stuff. But it's not not one event, it's two. There were 4,000, there were 5,000. They're in a desolate place for sure, but we see there's five loaves and two fish, and then there's seven loaves. There's a lot of differences. But I think that one of the main differences to me is part of why Jesus says what he says. Now, I'm gonna step out a little bit on my opinion here, and this is the BIV. This is Ben's International Version (laughs) at at this point, all right? So sometimes it's just clear this is what the Bible says, and we say it as it is, and other times we need to say this is what um, I think, But if you look at the story in Mark 6, and it's a similar story, the disciples have been here before, but Philip comes to Jesus as the apostolic delegate, and he says, Jesus, we need to send all of these people away because we have no food, we have no resources, and they're hungry, and we need to get rid of all these people so it's not our fault that they're still uh, hungry or something bad happens. That's my way of saying it, but it looked like compassion. That may have been compassionate for Philip to do that. I would actually say, okay, that's a compassionate thing for him to say to Jesus. And Jesus says, you give them something to eat, which fully confronted him because now he has no idea what to say. And he was hoping Jesus would not give him such a commission. That's why I bet you they were very hesitant to approach Jesus with problems because he might say something like that. You give him something to eat. He's like, no, Jesus, I don't think you understand. We don't have enough money. We don't have enough time. We don't have enough resources uh, and Jesus is like, well, how much do you have? That's, that's this famous part that we talked about last time. What do you have? You know one of the big differences between that story and this one? It's where they are. In that story, they're still in Galilee. This is a Jewish region. The disciples are Jewish. We understand that Jews and Gentiles have quite a bit of hostility toward each other. You know where they are right now? They're in Decapolis. This is a Gentile region. It's my opinion that the reason the disciples weren't the first one to say anything about the needs of the people is because they're in a Gentile region, and I think they're struggling with having compassion on a people that they don't like. I think it was a lot easier for them to say, Jesus, we need to send these people away, the Jewish people, back a couple months ago because we really care about that and we're in, it's in our own community. But now they're out in Decapolis, which is overwhelmingly Gentile." And Jesus looks at his disciples and for the only time in the gospel says, I feel compassion. Look at that, I feel compassion. You guys may not, but Jesus is telling them because he wants them to feel what he feels. See, that's what discipleship is like. Jesus will often say things to us He will often say things to his disciples as we gather around the sacred text. And what we're reading about is how the son of God feels because he wants us to own that very same sense that he has for the people. But I bet you, this is my opinion, is that one of the reasons why the disciples weren't in the same place as Jesus is because they felt a certain way about the people that were in front of them. And here's the question that I have. Do you and I have the same hesitations at times depending upon who is in front of us? It's easy for us to say, like, I would address any need in front of me until it's a person that you disagree with, until it's a person that you dislike, until it's a person that's offended or wounded you. And this is why Jesus labors again and again for us to cross those boundaries and say, you need to love your enemies. You need to pray for those that despitefully use you. He's challenging the disciples. And I want to tell you something, that is challenging. Loving people that are hard to love. Praying for your enemy, people that offend you and wound you, that is challenging. It it preaches well, it sounds wonderful. We read it, we write it down in a devotional, but then when we have to do it, it's like, oh, are you serious? And then it's like old, it's like old time. You know, Lord, help me. <laughs> help me. And that's okay. That's a good prayer. You know, when you get in a jam, call on the Lamb. That's good. Start there. Help me, Lord. It's possible that the disciples had limited compassion. Here's a question that I have for you today. Do you perhaps have a limited compassion as well? Okay, let me raise my hand. My name is Ben, and sometimes I have limited compassion. And sometimes I'm blind to it. So even if I'm not aware with who or when or how it happens, it's true. And I'll admit it today. And Lord, help us so that we can grow beyond that to be more like you. Because isn't that the goal? The goal is to be like the one we're following. And if that is not evident in my life, Lord, help me to be like you. That's all that I desire. When you see people and hear painful stories and you see real needs, what do you feel? Do you feel sad, mad, indifferent? What do you feel? What do you feel when you drive by a homeless person asking for money? What do you feel? When you hear about someone around you struggling with an illness and you know it's probably difficult for them at home, What do you feel? Do you feel for them? Do you consider them? Do I consider them? When you hear about someone who's experienced racism in our own city, which there are a couple different stories that I've heard recently, terrible stories, what do you feel? See, what's the voice in our head? What's the voice in our heart when we hear these things and what's going on? What's the influence in our life when this is presented to us? How do we respond, right? What do you, he, what, when you hear about an abuse victim who had the courage to share their story, I heard one this week. And it's amazing to me how like, somebody steps up. And yes, you know what? There are false accusations in our world. I get that. There are. And I've been, I've been around that before. But there was a person that stepped forward to share courageously about something that has been plaguing them for a number of years. And it was amazing how many different responses that there were Sometimes we just have to learn how to stop and feel compassion for people and the courage that it took for them to do what they did. Listen, friends, I'm telling you, why would we not? Jesus just saw things that we often don't see. He saw the leper. He saw the Gentiles. He saw the sick. He saw the beggar. And yes, friends, he saw the women. And in that culture, many did not. I'm thankful that it's not the same as it is today, but we still need compassion in our world today, don't we? We need compassion in our hearts. The disciples saw a problem they couldn't solve. The Pharisees saw uncleanness that they didn't want, but Jesus saw people that he wanted to help. The difference is always the disposition of the heart, isn't it? It's always what's going on in here because we're never going to act if we don't have something happening in our heart. It always starts with our heart. It's not just starting with our hands. But there is a second point I wanna make and that is this compassion grows through serving others. It starts with the heart of Jesus in our own heart, but it grows through serving others. Look at verse five. Jesus was asking them, how many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. And he directed the people to sit down on the ground, and taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks and broke them. And he started giving them to the disciples to serve them, and they served them to the people. And they also had a few small fish, and after he blessed them, he ordered them to be served as well. And they ate, and they were satisfied. They picked up seven large basketfuls. Uh, by the way, the word baskets in the previous text in Mark 6 is sort of like a wicker basket. It's a very small basket, but this word is a different Greek word, and it means basketfuls. It's the same basket that they lowered Paul down through the, uh, through the wall. I believe it was in Ephesus. Uh, th- we're talking about seven huge basketfuls, so that's another difference. Fun fact, moving on. Seven basketfuls Leftover of the broken pieces, about 4,000 were there. He sent them away. Immediately, he entered the boat with his disciples, and he came to the district of Dalmanutha. Scholars have no idea where Dalmanutha is, so obviously, I don't either, because I'm not a scholar. I learn from them. So where was Dalmanutha? We have no clue. Anyhow, every miracle starts with a problem, but the miraculous solution, listen to this, was motivated by real compassion. I want, I want to drop a bomb on this particular point here. If true compassion is to actually be born in our hearts, then it must find expression in our hands. That's what separates us from sympathy and empathy. Compassion actually has action attached to it. Sometimes we use the word compassionate action because we're trying to bring out the real meaning of compassion itself, but compassion implicitly, or it implies action in and of itself. It always carries the fact that somebody will do do something about what they see. If it's to be born in our hearts, then it must find expression. The word compassion in the original language where Jesus says, I feel this way, they understood that it meant to be moved from within. It meant to be moved from within. For example, when Jesus was moved from within by the plea of the blind men, They were crying out. The disciples wanted to send them away. They were crying out. And it says Jesus had compassion. It means he was moved from within to heal them. The time where Jesus was moved by the request of the widow and raised her son from the dead. It says he was moved on behalf of her request and he did something about it. Jesus was moved by the cry of a leper and he touched the leper when nobody else would. Jesus was moved by the hunger of the 5,000 and the 4,000. He was moved from within. He didn't just feel a certain way. He was moved. As we are motivated by the heart of God, we will find the provision of God available to address the needs in our world. What if, friends, what if the miraculous of God is simply on the other end of our compassion? Look at this. I feel compassion. You see all these texts that I brought up? All of these are Bible passages. Jesus was moved. Compassion was mentioned first, and then a miracle happened as Jesus moved towards the need. What if we're lacking compassion, and that is the reason why we're inactive towards some of the things in our world? And if he would revisit us with his compassion, where we see people and we feel towards them, and instead of just standing on the sidelines, God would fill us with the Holy Spirit. And even though we don't know how we're going to feed 4,000 people, we try to do something. And he meets us with a supernatural provision. What if it's compassion and not just belief in his power? Oh, that's the bomb. What if it starts in here and it's not just faith? Hey Amen? It's, it's all about faith. It is about faith, but what if it's compassion as well? Seems to me that it requires both. It's the way I read this. Jesus asked them a question. I love how he kind of subtly calls them out. Maybe it's not subtle. Maybe in their language, it was very direct. <laughs> how many loaves do you have? They said seven. I have this feeling, I'm um, just kind of being goofy, but I think they had like nine and Peter's like, Zoop! Seven. Seven are there, Lord. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Seven. That's about seven. I mean, they had like robes, so I don't know what they would have had to do, you know. Where did that go? I mean, they had a satchel. I don't know what they would carry. But anyhow, how many loaves do you have? They said seven. Why is this request or why is Jesus's question toward them significant? Jesus took what they had. We've, we've talked about this before, but I want to bring it up What if it's just as practical as Jesus trying to help the disciples learn how to share? (laughs) It's just stingy. How many loaves do you got there, Peter? I don't know. Thomas? Uh, I doubt I have seven, right? (laughs) John? John's like the lovey-dovey. We really have seven, Lord. (laughs) (laughs) You know I cannot lie to you. I'm too close. We have seven. He wants them to share you know what touches my heart as a father? When my kids share. You know what makes me a little uh, frustrated (laughs) is when my kids don't share, right? I I will ask you today, do you share? Are you good at sharing? Now, you're probably, some of you married people are thinking about when you sit down at the restaurant and uh, your loved one says, hey, can I have some of that? And you're like, no. (laughs) You can get your own. I think we could all grow in even the simple ways, but I'm not not here to talk to you about that today. But if the shoe fits, you know. Maybe the disciples were nervous because they knew Jesus was gonna ask them for what they had, but they felt like, if I give it to you, will I give it back or will I have anything? Have you ever withheld from God Because you felt like this is all I have, and if I give this away, I don't know if I'll have enough for myself. Isn't this amazing how it touches even giving? Now, I didn't come to talk to you about that today. I did on last Wednesday. If you're interested, I talked about tithing. I know people like to arm wrestle me on that once in a while, so feel free. to. It's an hour-long teaching. Feel free to knock yourself out on that. I really recommend it, especially if you're struggling, because I give all the passages. But Time, talent, and treasure. These are the things that we steward, that God has given to us, that we give back to him. God gives them to us, and then he asks us to give them back. And then when we give them back, what we find is he multiplies them. But the process is, if we don't learn how to trust the Lord in giving back to him what he's given to us, we don't see the miracle of God. And that's the motion of the miraculous, honestly whether it's the money that we have or whether it's the time that we have or whether it's the talents that we possess. that sometimes it's like, I don't have enough time. I can't serve, I don't have enough time. The fact is, is God can redeem the time and we can reprioritize. And here's what we find Sometimes we're hesitant. Sometimes we're apprehensive to do the thing that we're even in our hearts, we're inspired to do. Like, I want to give toward that. I want to serve in that way. I feel that need and I want to do something about it. But we withhold. And when we withhold, we continue to feel that need and it becomes what I would call a religious guilt. It becomes a religious guilt. And then we shut off. When that happens, if we keep doing that, what happens is we shut off to the needs around us and it continues to grow. Friends, we might not be able to do a lot, but we can do a little. Look at this 4,000 people out here. How are my seven loaves gonna do anything for these 4,000 people? The disciples aren't even thinking about what might happen if they give it to Jesus. But you know what's crazy is they've been here before. They've been here before. They knew that Jesus took five loaves and two fish, multiplied it, fed more than 5,000 people. They've been here before, but here's the real issue. Have we not been there before as well? Can you not remember a time where you you didn't have the money or you didn't have the time, but you gave it anyways, and you saw God in return make the most of it, not only for the needs, but also he gave to you enough. They came with seven loaves, but they left with seven basketfuls. I mean, who's the one that really won in that situation? What's Jesus trying to teach his disciples? He's trying to teach them that you need to be motivated by compassion that when you see the needs, even if you feel like you can't do anything about everything, you can do something. You can do something. And when you do something, God can multiply the something that we give into a whole lot more. True compassion doesn't just want to help a need. True compassion actually does help a need. In um, April 20th, 2020, my family and I had only been here at that point for like, I think, nine months, um, eight months, and the pandemic had just gotten underway, and we were all quite confused at that time, but there was a horrible thing that had happened, and I mean, many terrible things were going on at that time, but I remember three blocks from here, a 19-year-old young man uh, was walking down the street right here on 21st Avenue, right out in front of the Westway uh, area there, uh, the Westway Community Center, and uh, a car pulls up and uh, gunned him down. 19-year-old, his name was Damien. You might remember this story. It was the first of a couple that happened during that, uh, that, t- that month, actually. It shook me when I learned about that news. We learned about it very quickly. Two hours before that, my daughter and I were walking at the same place because we live right down the street, and we walked that whole circle because in the pandemic, we were trying to get out and walk as much as possible. We had just walked two hours before, right where it had happened. And so the first feeling that I had when I learned about Damien being shot there was I was fearful because I was with my daughter. And as a father and and my wife would feel the same as a mother, we want to protect. That's the first instinct that I had is I want to protect. And so um, at that moment, I was thinking about, fear. I was thinking about security. I was thinking about safety. That's what comes into our minds and our hearts at times when these tragedies occur. But through praying about it, um, I knew we had to get in touch with his family. And so I got a couple people, investigative reporters uh, alongside me. We tried to find out how to get a hold of his family, and I got a hold of his grandmother and his mother. I talked to both of them. Um, his grandmother was a believer. I could never get a hold of his father, but we ended up asking them, "Can we do the memorial here?" And and now, you can judge me for this. That's fine. I'm just going to share it. But that's during a time where you're not supposed to have any memorials or all that stuff because of COVID. But I just said, "If you need to do a memorial, we'll do it. We'll just we'll just do it." I just was trying to respond to suffering, and and I know some people don't agree with me on that. It's fine. I just said, "Hey, we'll do the memorial. Whatever you need, we'll take care of it." And uh, she was like so overwhelmed. That we found her, reached out to her, I got her phone number, and she was so thankful to to our church i wasn 't the only one that tried to find them and reach out to them. Uh, we went into Westway, we prayed over the whole community multiple times, we just did what we could do and uh, they ended up doing the memorial in Enumclaw, but we paid for it. Our church paid for their their memorial, all this, all their stuff. We took care of it. And by the way, we do that for commu- our community. Pastor Scott uh, does a lot of the memorials. We do them for the community when when tragedies happen, and we take care of it. We do it for free as a church. This is what, you know, when you give towards our church, this is some of the stuff that we do. We, we don't talk about it all the time because there's a lot, of, a lot of things that happen. But I remember just feeling like stuck, like security, safety, fear. Those were the feelings that I initially had. And the Lord wanted me to move past that. And I did. And we did as a church. We mobilized and we offered what we could do. How can you speak to a mother or a grandmother that's just had their 19-year-old son, grandson gunned down? I have no words, friends. I've got nothing that I can offer that will help heal their hearts. But you know what? That's not what they needed. They just needed somebody that would be there and say, hey, we see you. And if we can do anything, we'll do it. And, uh, and that's all God is asking us to do. So whether it's a card that we send or an email that we send or a presence that we have in the life of someone that God wants us to not stop and say, I don't have enough. I've only got seven loaves. I can't do anything about this great need. I'm overwhelmed. I don't know how to address it. The Lord wants us to stop doing that and start responding in some way. Compassion doesn't have to look like a lot. It just, it can look like a little, but it can mean a lot to the person on the other end that's suffering. Isn't that amazing? Can you remember in your life times where people stopped and they saw you and they said something or they were around? It, did, it wasn't because, they didn't solve your problem, but because they did what they did, it helped to alleviate the burden. The word "picture" sometimes for compassion is if Pastor Scott were up here, don't come up here, Scott, stay there. But if Pastor Scott were up here and he were to have like some like heavy beam on his shoulders, call that a burden. He's carrying this burden, and I didn't have a beam, so I couldn't bring it up. But he's but I would have used Scott. I would have used you for that strong guy there. But he's carrying the burden. Compassion is where I see that, and I'm not going to come and take it for you. That's some people's way of addressing problems. It's not the right way. That's not the right way. That's the world's way of addressing things at times. You can't take away the burden of people. It will not make them who they need to be. But what you can do is you can come up under that beam and help to alleviate the full burden so that we can walk together. That's the word picture of compassion. It's to help alleviate the fullness of the burden, not to take it for them. And I think at times we feel that burden and we're like, I can't do anything about that because maybe what we're trying to do is we're trying to alleviate the entire beam. And God says, back off of that, just give seven loaves. We're trying to feed all 4,000. We're trying to take care of all the foster care kids. We're trying to adopt every kid so we never adopt any kid. We're trying to change everybody so we never change anybody. You understand, but maybe there's this thing in our mind that messes with us and we never actually step out because we feel so overwhelmed by how much is out there. He just says, just put your shoulder up under the beam, that's it. Just help to alleviate. That's all you got to do. And it can be very small, but it makes the difference. Amen? It makes the difference. It leads us to action. And the last point, which I do not have time for, and time has slipped away, is compassion is guarded through careful discernment. And I'll, I'll just summarize this. Jesus makes a comment when he gets into the boat with the disciples, and he says this to them, beware of the leaven of Herod and the leaven of the Pharisees. And at first, when I was studying this, I didn't see the connection, but now I do. Jesus is just, he's just multiplied, done a miracle, multiplied the bread. He's fed the 4,000 people. The disciples are still not understanding all that Jesus is trying to do. It says that he did that because of compassion. He gets into the boat. The Pharisees just argued with him. Of course, that's their contribution. He gets into the boat. He looks at his disciples after this has happened. He said, beware Watch out for the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. What is the leaven of the Pharisees? Well, Luke tells us that it's hypocrisy, it's falsehood. It's to appear one way, but actually be another way. It's to be an imposter, it's to be an actor. The leaven of Herod, Herod's the person that wants to retain power. Herod wants to use people in order to prop himself up. He doesn't care about people. He's even willing to murder people. That's how far he went. But he wants to look a certain way to the people. So you have Herod and you have the Pharisees. And Jesus says, it's like leaven that when you put this small substance into bread dough, it permeates the entire dough and it causes it to rise. It will, it will actually fill that entire dough until it's all throughout it. And he says to the disciples, this is what happens when you allow yourself to listen to the influence of Herod and the Pharisees. It will permeate your life and you'll become something other than what I am beware. In other words, we need to be careful and discerning that we don't let anything rob our compassion from us, rob the perspective of what Jesus would do. It will happen, and it does happen. And I've said this before, and and I know it can get misunderstood, but the religious spirit and the political spirit have the same goal. And friends, I want to tell you something. We, We cannot be puppets to what this world is trying to coerce us into. We have to be kingdom people, And the way that we are kingdom people is we stay so connected to this book. There are times where I wake up and I realize my primary influence in that issue is not the book. It's something else. And when that happens, I have to bow to Jesus. I have to bow to, it's gonna make me uncomfortable. It's gonna make me do things that I don't wanna do. It's gonna inconvenience me, it's gonna cost me. But there are times where you find that you're following another influence that's trying to creep in and it'll just rob from you the sensitivity and the compassion and the movement of God of what Jesus wants to release? What if miracles are held back because our compassion is not full? Because if we feel a certain way about what's going on in our world, we start to address it, and then the miraculous of God comes. We give our our natural, and he brings his super. It's powerful. That's what God does. Well, hey, listen, you may say, Ben, I don't know where to start. And I'm like, I know you may not, but we've got... A food pantry, we feed people here every week. Did you know that your church feeds 70 to 100 people every week? How many of you are involved in the food pantry? Thank you for serving. You can do that on Wednesday morning. We've been doing that for 20 years, way before my time here. I'm thankful that that we do that. We have a ministry called Hope for Families. Our desire is to develop 50 care communities to wrap around those that are stuck, struggling, and suffering. 50 care communities. See, nobody can do everything, but everybody can do one thing. And that's our desire with Hope for Families is to come around these families, not just to talk about it, not to feel bad about it, but that we can grow together in bringing hope and we can play a small part, each of us, in doing something. That's our desire. And by 2023, I'm asking that we have 50 care communities out of our church. That's probably 200 people where we can all play a part in seeing hope come alive. Hey, would you stand? Thank you, Lord. We are... um, running a little later because of prayer, and that's on, that's on us. We needed to pray as a church. But as I close, I call us to compassion. I call us to receive from the Lord. I want to pray that over us today and let the Holy Spirit minister to us in that way. But I also wanted to share with you, there were several things that we prayed for during the service, and I had this picture of somebody that woke up this morning and you you felt all beat up, like your entire body just felt racked with aches and pains, and the feeling that you get is, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to do anything. Ben, you're talking about doing something. <laughs> you're talking about stepping into more and your physical body is a hindrance to you. You just, even you woke up today and you feel racked with pain and aches, and it just, even hearing a message sometimes might be like, I can't do more because of the way I feel. I just wanna tell you that God not only wants to heal you, but I believe what the Lord wants to also do is inspire you beyond that feeling that you have in the physical. That what God gives us spiritually can even be more powerful than what we feel physically. You believe that today? Listen, it's your... If that's you, receive this from the Lord. I saw a picture of you and I just wanna pray over you. So let's receive from him. Father, we thank you today in Jesus' name. God, we pray over each and every person that not only for us that you would fill us with your compassion, but God, where we're inactive, I pray you would activate us today. Amen, that's what we pray, activate us today. Help us to see needs, help us to see loss, help us to see difficulty and not shy away or look away, but to address what we can. God, I pray that your impressions and your voice would be strong in our lives and that we would be able to just simply move into those places where maybe we used to move away from. And there's some in this room, Lord, right now that we used to be like that, but maybe the last two years have stripped it away or taken it, robbed it from us. Lord, we pray, give it back. Father, fill our hearts with mercy again. Fill our hearts with eyes that see and ears that hear and and hearts that respond. Give us that back, Lord, to be more like you in our world. We pray for that today. Help us, Lord, we ask you. And for the one that, Lord, woke up today feeling all racked with pain and aches, and it's just usurping their desire to transcend that and respond to you even, or maybe do anything with their friends, their family. God, we pray for healing in the mighty name of Jesus. God, we ask that you would touch that person right now, whoever that might be, whether they're online or in this room. We pray for your divine touch. Come, Holy Spirit, and minister in power, we pray. Thank you, Lord, that you're touching not only the body, but you're touching the heart. And we receive it. We receive all that you have. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.